2: And away we go, episode 120 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Wednesday, August 11th, 2021, the final day before the start of games for the Washington football team in its 2021 campaign. 20 games, at least three preseason games, plus 17 regular season games. Preseason opener Thursday night at the New England Patriots at 7.30. Washington on Tuesday conducted the team's final proper practice before the preseason opener at the Pats, although the practice was more of a walkthrough type practice, more of a jog through, if you're Mike Shanahan, or jog through if you're Ron Burgundy, I will take you through the best of what Ron Rivera had to say during his post-practice press conference. I guess you could say Ron Burgundy in gold, what he had to say uh, during his post-practice press conference. You'll hear Ron on what he wants to see on Thursday night, including from his quarterbacks. Guess who else spoke via post-practice press conference at Washington football team training camp on Tuesday? Montez Sweat. First time in more than two months, first time since his anti-COVID-19 vaccine comments that became a big to-do, uh, Montez Sweat again got asked about the issue of getting vaccinated for COVID-19. We'll get into that a little bit, but what I primarily want to focus on regarding Montez Sweat was him saying that he and Chase Young want a break. The combined sack record. Now, not exactly clear whether he meant the NFL record for most combined sacks in a regular season by two teammates or the Washington record for most combined sacks in a regular season by two teammates, but it doesn't really matter. Montez Sweat is thinking big for himself and Chase Young. Montez Sweat should be thinking big. How big will his and Chase's sack production be? This coming season. How big will Washington's overall pass rush production be this coming season? Because that to me is what matters the most. We'll get into all of that in just a bit. The Nationals, their game one at the New York Mets on Tuesday night, suspended due to rain. That's uh, our leading 3 1. In the top of the second, the returning Juan Soto, a three-run homer in the top of the first off, back-to-back singles by Victor Robles and Dalcides Escobar to begin the game. As yes, Soto was back in the lineup off, well, not starting any of the three games in the series loss at the Atlanta Braves over the weekend due to his right knee. But the rain soon came. We had a delay of about two hours. And so the game will resume on Wednesday afternoon, beginning at 410 as part of a single admission doubleheader. The suspended game will go the full nine innings, followed by a seven inning second game. Paolo Espino, who started the game on Tuesday night, allowed one run and one inning, will be relieved by Joe Ross. And then the Nats are going to have to figure something out from a pitching plan perspective for game two. So that's where we stand with the Nats. The Orioles did play on Tuesday night. And so I will talk Orioles on the show, as the O's got crushed again, 9-4 loss to the Detroit Tigers at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. The O's are one game away from tying the major league record for most consecutive games in which the team allows at least nine runs in each game. Uh, The O's have lost six straight, they've allowed at least nine runs in each of those six games, and none other than ESPN MLB insider Buster Olney on Tuesday morning had a tweet of shame directed at the Orioles. I have a few things to say about that. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. you can email me the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Mark Bennett off me saying on Tuesday's show that I did not watch one second of the Tokyo Olympics, and no, I did not watch one second of the Tokyo Olympics. I just wasn't interested in the Olympics. Uh, writes Mark, not one second, and it wasn't on purpose. Ditto shaking my head. You're right. With baseball and WFT News, Summer VK, Olympics was the stepchild in the corner. Uh yes, it was. And for a lot of us, uh the television ratings for the Tokyo Olympics were atrocious. NBC's primetime coverage of the Tokyo Olympics averaged 15.5 million primetime viewers. Now, that on its own is a great number, right? 15.5 million primetime viewers. Yeah but understand the context. The total is the smallest audience for the Summer Olympics since NBC began airing the Olympics in 1988, a 42% drop from the Rio de Janeiro Olympics in 2016, a 42% drop. Okay. And I get it. The time difference between here and Japan, you know, these were the COVID games. You didn't have fans in attendance, but still a forty-two percent drop. Email from Dave, aka Yano, writes: Yano, Al, you always talk about a player's age season. What happens when the player turns one year older during the season? For instance, if a player turns thirty on July first of a baseball season, is it his age twenty-nine season or his age thirty season? Uh, Yano, that's actually a really good question. Uh, so the cutoff date is different for each sport. Uh, In baseball, your age season is your age as of June 30th. It's actually funny that you use July 1st as presumably an arbitrary date in your email. That's actually a significant date when it comes to what is a baseball player's age season. Uh, In football, your age season is your age as of December 31st. In basketball, your age season is your age as of February 1st. And in hockey, your age season is your age as of January 31st. So there you go. There are the rules for the age seasons. Of course, sometimes it's all right to break the rules. A man who is breaking rules when it comes to outrageous commissions in real estate is John Grandland of Real Broker, a.k.a. John G. I'm not sure which season he's currently in in terms of his age season, but it doesn't matter. John Grandland is changing the game. He is a game changer because he has introduced commission flex to the area. You know, Ron Rivera on Monday again brought up position flex.
1: Right now, you know, having the position flex.
2: Yes, there you go, Ron. Position flex. Ron loves position flex. Well, John Grandlin offers commission flex. What is commission flex, you ask? It's simple, flexible commission rates. Don't just accept having to pay some flat fee no matter what, you know, 5%, 6%. The heck with that. Not every house requires the same amount of work or money spent marketing. So why should you pay the same fees? It doesn't make sense. It's never made sense. If your house is going to sell in six minutes, don't pay 6%. Let John Granlin put a marketing plan together for you that will maximize your home's value and help you keep more of your hard earned equity in your pocket. You see, John Granlin has a menu of commission packages from which you can choose, including selling your home for free. Yeah, you heard that right. For free, zero commission some conditions do apply. But interviewing John Grandlin is an absolute no-brainer. He can come by your house and give you a step-by-step plan on what to do to get top dollar, and maybe even more importantly, what not to do so you don't spend needlessly and there is never any obligation to list or sell. So if you need to sell your home and you aren't sure to whom to turn, if you've been trying to sell your home and you're not satisfied with how things are going, if you're even just thinking about selling your home, do yourself a favor and call John Granlin. This is a phone call that literally could make you tens of thousands of dollars and or save you tens of thousands of dollars. Call John G. now, 703 537 Forty-seven. When you call him, make sure you tell him that Al Galdi sent you and make sure you say to him, hey, I want to hear more about what I keep hearing about on the Al Galdi podcast, the commission flex. John Grandlin is a great guy, big Washington football team fan, big Nationals fan, and he knows real estate like nobody else. That phone number again, 703- 537-6747, or visit com. That's com. John Grandlin, nobody will do a better job of selling your home. And remember, he is the master of commission flex. Right now, you know, having the position flex. Yes, Ron, just like position flex. All right, so we on Tuesday had the final Washington football team training camp practice before the preseason opener. Washington at the New England Patriots Thursday night at 730. Ron Rivera at his post-practice press conference did not give us anything in terms of who will not play due to injury. So we'll see on that, but there will be guys out. Kyle Allen won't play. He's still not practicing fully off aggravating his uh, surgically repaired left ankle two Saturdays ago. Curtis Samuel won't play. He's back on the active physically unable to perform list with that groin injury. William Jackson, the third may not play. He's been dealing with a leg issue, a charley horse, as Ron described it. And Matt Ioannidis may not play. He has been ramped up slowly off his time on the reserve COVID-19 list, but plenty of guys will play. Thursday night at the Pats. Ron on Tuesday on what he's wanting to see from his team in Thursday night's preseason opener at the Patriots.
1: Consistency you know you don't want to have a three and out and then go six plays and then a three and out and a three and out six plays on the offense. Defensively you'd love to see that kind of consistency three and out three and out three and out Um, you know but you're really looking for the communication aspect as well making sure everybody's getting the calls the checks uh, we're shifting, we're motioning the way we're supposed to. We're doing the little things right. That, that more so than anything else I think is important. Um, I'm, you know, th- this. you want to win them all, but I'm not concerned with winning. I'm concerned we we'll go out there and playing hard and doing things the right way, first and foremost.
2: All right. Well, what about the quarterbacks? Uh, presumably we'll be seeing Ryan Fitzpatrick, Taylor Heineke, and Steven Montez on Thursday night. Kyle Allen, I'm guessing, will not be playing. I mean, he hasn't even been fully practicing. He's still not practicing fully of, like we said, aggravating the surgically repaired left ankle two Saturdays ago. That was July 31st. Uh, He's been out for a while here. And the longer that he remains out, the more that you have to wonder if he begins the regular season on injured reserve. Uh, Remember, he could eventually be activated off injured reserve. And we did get a report on Tuesday evening from Tom Pellicero, NFL insider for NFL Network and NFL.com, that the NFL has made it official in a memo to clubs. Unlimited players can return from a team's injured reserve list in 2021 and those players are eligible after missing three games rather than eight weeks. Uh, this is big news. This is good news. Uh, this was something that the NFL did last season due to the COVID-19 pandemic. I think this is something that the NFL should make permanent. I've never liked this lack of flexibility that teams have when it comes to putting guys on injured reserve. This should be almost like the injured list in Major League Baseball. You should be able to put guys on injured reserve and then take guys off injured reserve and still be able to play those guys who had been on injured reserve. You know, maybe it doesn't have to be like the IL in baseball and that you can put people on and off and back on and back off but you should be able to put a guy on IR and that doesn't like doom the guy for the rest of the year in terms of him being available to you. So I think you got to be open-minded to that at this point. Kyle Allen beginning the regular season on injured reserve. We'll see. I would think that Washington's quarterback plan for Thursday night is Fitzpatrick for the first quarter, Heineke for the second quarter, and then Montez for the second half. But you know, that's just a guess. Ron on Tuesday on what he's looking for from each of his quarterbacks on Thursday night.
1: Well, that's pretty much it. You're looking to see if he has his rhythm, um, getting in and out of the huddle on time, uh, control of the, of the of the huddle calls, uh, and then his cadence, control of his cadence on the line of scrimmage. Uh, you know, is he going through the, the checks, the processes he needs to, communicating with the receivers, that type of stuff. And then again, you know, throwing the ball where it needs to be thrown, making the right decisions. And like I said, told you guys this before you know when, when i'm done i'm gonna take a look and see what you know what the what the uh playbook tells us whether or not uh you know we spread the ball around properly and, and we used all of our assets out there or not
2: now obviously fitzpatrick heineke and montez are at different stages of experience and accomplishment does ron approach each guy the same way
1: well i, I think the big thing more than anything else it's what it takes to get them there i think some guys are are different kind of learners, um, and some guys you really want to try and exploit their strengths, uh, that, that's probably another thing that we, you know, we, we take into consideration. Uh, I know in talking with Scott, some of the things that you know, we have planned up for the different quarterbacks are, are slightly different, not that much, but just slightly.
2: It's going to be especially interesting to me to watch Heineke on Thursday night because Heineke is a guy whose biggest strengths don't necessarily convey in practice. You know, Heineke's biggest strengths are game-specific, the improvisational skills, the off-schedule play, you know, the ability to turn something into nothing, the moxie. Uh, Heineke has had a very mixed training camp. He has not been good enough to where the quarterback competition, to whatever extent it ever existed, uh, is a major thing, at least not yet. You know, the idea with the quarterback competition, to me anyway, was, okay, Fitzpatrick is the QB1. There is a path by which Heineke could become the QB1. But that path would require Fitzpatrick really struggling in camp and in the preseason and Heineke doing very well in camp and in the preseason. And we so far have not seen enough of Fitzpatrick struggling in camp and Heineke doing well in camp for this quarterback competition to be that much of a thing. I mentioned recently that you're not hearing much about the quarterback competition these days, and you're not. Pretty much all of the beat reporters dismiss the competition as not being a thing. And Ron, who not that long ago was telling anyone who would listen that there was going to be a quarterback competition, now never even brings up the quarterback competition. Trust me, I've listened to every second of Ron's post-training camp practice press conferences so I can share them with you on this podcast. And he is not at all bringing up the quarterback competition. This was Ron on Tuesday on the idea of an actual game, even a preseason game, revealing things about players.
1: What will happen is, though, when, when, it becomes, um, when, when it becomes game speed, that kind of pace, that's when you really begin to notice um, some guys do some things. You know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting because um, I, Michael Jordan told me this one time, a long time ago when we were way back in Chicago, he used to say, if, if you watch when it comes down to clutch time, who comes to the ball hard? Okay, who doesn't seem to come off that pick as hard as they should? It's just interesting. So I, so when we get into the games like this, you really watch for those things. And it tells you.
2: So how'd you like that name dropping there from Ron Rivera? Michael Jordan told me this one time. Look at Ron. Look at Don Ron, the big macher. All right, he's boys with MJ. All-time Wizards great Michael Jordan, who I believe played for another NBA team as well. Uh, anyway, something that's almost always the case for an NFL team in its first preseason game is a limited game plan, right? The word vanilla gets used an awful lot this time of year. Vanilla game plan vanilla scheme for the preseason opener. Uh, there's virtually no attempt to you know exploit the opposition's weaknesses or anything like that in preseason game number one. In fact, you don't want to show much. you want to keep your strategies and your wrinkles and your tendencies. To yourself, And so these preseason games, especially the initial ones, are almost always pretty blah in terms of what you see schematically. You just have your guys go out there and play. Uh, Ron on Tuesday confirmed that this will be the case for Washington on Thursday night. Expect a vanilla approach in terms of the game plan for Thursday night at the Pats.
1: You know, we want to spend more time focusing on us, 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 us. Um, So our, our game plan will be limited on both sides of the ball and the special teams for that matter. Um, this will be really about how our guys react to what we do, how they do the basic stuff more so than anything else, uh, as we prep for next week. And then the following week, we'll get a little bit more into, into truly game planning, uh, going through the opponent, talking about the opponents that are going to be there. Uh, it'll be a mock week for the coaches when we, when we start getting ready, uh, for, for, uh, for Baltimore. And what we'll do is we'll do a whole week of, of prep in terms of meetings, walkthroughs, practice.
2: Yeah, and beyond not wanting to show other teams what you do, not having much of a game plan for the first preseason game also allows your younger players to just play. You know, They don't have to think. They can just play, just react. And you can see truly what these guys have. More from Ron on Tuesday.
1: What we're, we're trying not to do is, 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 is overload them as much as we want them to go out and be able to play fast and so it's really about keeping it basic the first game. And, and that's what you hope across the board is that, you know, what we do uh, gives them enough, just enough, so they can go out and play fast. We don't want them overthinking because that, you know, it's paralysis through analysis. A guy will freeze up out there and, you know, uh, you want to see. You want to see if those guys are doing the things that they've been doing. There's going to be consequences in this game because if you give up a big throw, there's a touchdown. If you miss a tackle, there's a touchdown. Or you miss a block, there's a sack. Um, that's what uh, to me is, is, is one of the really true gauges is that there are consequences in this game as opposed to out on the practice field.
2: Yes, there are consequences. On Thursday night, there have been many consequences lately for the Nationals. Uh, If you are a Nats fan, you are perhaps familiar with one of Davey Martinez's favorite phrases, the little things. We got to do the little things better. Well, football also has its little things. Rod Rivera on Tuesday was asked what little things from his team is he excited to see on Thursday night at the Pats?
1: Oh, gosh. First of all, is how everybody melds and meshes together, more so than anything else. Um, You know... Each position has its own little things that are going to be important. Obviously, the quarterback will be the the command of, of, of the huddle and tempo of the game for the offense. It'll be his decision making um, and the delivery of the ball. You know, those will be things that that you'll look at it, at each quarterback for that matter. You know, offensive line was is, is how they work together, how cohesive they were. Um, you know, if, if they're running a stunt on, you know, how they communicated those things. Um, you know, each position will have, you know, things that are important. Secondary, are they communicating? Are they playing with their leverage, understanding that, hey, i got to post safety. I, you know, we want to funnel everything inside. Hey, you know, we're, 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 we're playing cover two. You know, we, we got to be able to hinge on the outside to play the high-low. Uh, those are things that you'll want to see. Um, those are the little details of what we do.
2: So this preseason, of course, is the NFL's first preseason since 2019, which I don't know about you, feels like about a decade ago now. Uh, There was no preseason in 2020 due to the wonderful COVID-19 pandemic. And so unlike last year, teams will be going into this regular season having had the chance to tackle in live games. Although, yes, those live games will have been preseason games. Uh, does that matter? The fact that teams will be going into this regular season having actually tackled in preseason games. Is there value in getting to tackle in preseason games prior to regular season games?
1: I think it's important. It's going to be interesting to watch. Um, you know, one of, the things, <laughs> one of the things that happened this week, you know, we, we, you know, we, we, we try to practice an tempo. We try to go thud to the ball. And every now and then you'll see a guy just form up and just kind of tag off, and you, you you know. So you want to tell them, hey, look, you got to be ready. Now you got to at least take a shot or two. You know, you guys got to understand that that when we're out here and we're we're going live to the ball, you know, we're not taking them to the ground. It's a form up, but it's a thud. Because what's going to happen? They're going to get into that game, and that first time that you know they, they step in to hit somebody, and they're going to feel that initial shock. You know, they're they oh crap. You know, I got to wrap up. I got to grab. I got to pull that type of stuff. It's it gets, gets to be a little bit different. Uh, we also got to remind the uh, the um, the uh, draft picks, the rookies, that they got to make sure they tag everybody down, too. Because uh, sometimes you'll see a guy go to the ground after making a catch, and guys will walk away and without tagging him down. Because in college football, a guy goes to the ground, he's down. So that's another thing we got to remind them.
2: There weren't many nits to pick with Washington's defense last regular season. But if you're looking for one, you can say tackling, at least statistically. Washington last regular season per sport radar? was just 24th in the NFL in fewest missed tackles, 120 missed tackles over the 16 games. And you might say, well, that must be a function of the defense being on the field a bunch because the offense wasn't sustaining drives. So if you as a defense face more offensive plays, that means more opportunity for missed tackles. But interestingly, and to me surprisingly, Washington's defense last regular season only faced the 23rd most offensive plays in the NFL at 1,004. And then there is this, the Belichick factor. Yes, Thursday night is Ron Rivera versus Bill Belichick. Don Ron versus the GOAT, the greatest coach in NFL history. A battle of two Titans. The irresistible force against the immovable object. Uh, all right. It is just a preseason game, but he is Bill Belichick, the great Belichick. I have a saying when it comes to what my Washington football team should do in a given situation. WWBD, what would Belichick do? In times of uncertainty, when you're just not sure how Washington should handle something, just ask yourself that question. WWBD, what would Belichick do? Belichick's record, of course, is incredible. Rod Rivera on Tuesday on if there's anything about Belichick's style or program that Ron especially admires.
1: Um, you know, the 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 best thing about coaches there's no apologies for 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 who he is. He's true to he's true to himself, he's true to form. Um, I do appreciate watching him and 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 trying to understand the things that he does and and and, and watch. Uh, what happens with his teams? I mean, he, he had a, uh, you know, he had, a, had an, uh, a dynasty basically, and you know, and now they're rebuilding it, and and it's going to be fun to watch. I mean, he's he's one of those guys that you can learn from as you watch, because you know this really is a league of beg, borrow, and steal. You know, you you, you watch what happens, you, you use what they do, you, and um, you know, he's he's a guy. You know, him and Andy Reid and Pete Carroll are some of the veteran coaches that you, you you watch as a younger coach. Not that I'm that much younger than them.
2: Well, uh, Belichick is 69. Ron is 59. Uh, Ron, of course, also is a cancer survivor. He last year battled squamous cell carcinoma. Thankfully, seems to be doing well, but skin cancer obviously is a serious thing. Skin health is a big deal. A big fan of this podcast, a big fan of the Washington football team, is Dr. George Verghese. He is the medical director. For the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, he is a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. The Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland diagnoses and treats a broad range of acute and chronic skin conditions, including skin cancer. And specific to that, Dr. George Verghese and his institute offer something that's a game changer, superficial radiation therapy, or SRT. SRT is an alternative to surgical procedures for basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers. SRT is safe, effective, and non-surgical. You see, having skin cancer doesn't mean having to have surgery and the downtime and side effects, cosmetic and otherwise, that come with surgery. You have options. SRT is an option. And Dr. George Fergis and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer the option of SRT, unlike many other dermatology practices, in the area, and SRT is covered by most insurances. To find out more, call 301-396- 3401. When you call, make sure you tell them that Al you. If you or someone you know is dealing with skin cancer, first of all, we hope that you or that someone you know is doing well. But second of all, be mindful that you have options. SRT is an option. Call Dr. George Vergeese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland and find out what they can do for you. That number again, three zero one three nine six. 3401 or visit midatlanticskin.com that's midatlanticskin.com Dr. George Vergis in the Mid Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland nationally recognized for treating skin cancer across the Mid Atlantic region All right so also speaking via post Washington football team training camp practice press conference on Tuesday was Montez Sweat First time that Sweat spoke publicly since his infamous comments regarding getting vaccinated for COVID-19. Let's get the COVID-19 stuff out of the way, and then we'll talk football regarding Montez Sweat because he said something really interesting. So Sweat at his post-minicamp practice press conference on June 9th revealed himself to have been among those players who had not been vaccinated for COVID-19. Quote, I'm not a fan of it. I probably won't get vaccinated until I got more facts and that type of stuff but I'm not a fan of it at all, end quote. When asked about why he was hesitant to get vaccinated for COVID-19, Sweat said, quote, I haven't caught COVID yet, so I don't see me treating COVID until I actually get COVID, end quote. Uh, I will spare you the lecture of the vaccine (laughs) is meant to prevent you from getting COVID-19 or at least lessen the severity if you get COVID-19, not meant to treat you for when you have COVID-19. As you likely know, a lot has changed for Washington regarding players getting vaccinated for COVID-19. It was on July 16th that we had multiple reports that Washington still had a COVID-19 player vaccination rate of less than 50%. Uh, We on Monday evening had multiple reports that Washington's COVID-19 vaccination rate among players was at 86%. That is quite a leap. Now, just to be clear, 86% means that 86% of Washington's players had each received at least one shot of a COVID-19 vaccine. The reports also said that 59.3% of Washington's players had been fully vaccinated for COVID-19, and that Washington's 86% player vaccination rate for COVID-19 ranked 28th out of 32 NFL teams. So you can't flip it and say, well, Washington is still just 28th out of 32 NFL teams. But I would flip that and say, well, the NFL overall has actually done a really good job when it comes to players getting vaccinated for COVID-19. Like if you compare the rate at which NFL players have gotten vaccinated for COVID-19 versus the rate at which adults in the United States have gotten vaccinated for COVID-19, the rate is substantially higher in the NFL. So I think the NFL is to be applauded in that regard. Uh, Context matters here though. Yes, like Washington is still 28th out of 32 NFL teams, but you know, especially given how publicly frustrated Ron Rivera had been with Washington's low player vaccination rate for COVID-19 getting to 86% is significant. So here was Montez Sweat on Tuesday, more than two months removed from his infamous COVID-19 vaccine comments. I'll play for you the question And the answer, the question comes to us from Washington football team insider Michael Phillips of Richmond.com. Now, Michael has been by far the most aggressive of Washington's beat reporters when it comes to asking players about their COVID-19 vaccination stances and status. Uh, Michael's that guy. He has chutzpah, and I respect him for that. Uh, But here was the exchange between Michael and Montez.
1: Obviously, last time you were talking with us, you were sharing your thoughts on the vaccine. I, I was just wondering if you've had any conversations with coaches or other players since then. I definitely have. Uh,
3: we, talk, we talk about it all the time. Do
1: you mind sharing if, if your view has
2: changed or if, if you're in a different space now?
3: It's a personal decision with me and my family and also the coaches that we, that we all talk about.
2: And there you go. That was that. Also getting asked on Tuesday about getting vaccinated for COVID-19 was Matt Ioannidis. Uh, He also did a post-practice press conference. He has had COVID-19 at least once. He was one of the mere two Washington players who went on a COVID-19 list last season, and then he was on the reserve COVID-19 list in training camp. Ioannidis on Tuesday, and then you'll hear a follow-up question from Washington football team insider Matthew Paris of The Washington Times.
4: My stance on the vaccine is that I'm happy there's a vaccine. I hope everyone who wants it gets it. Um, and those, I, I also don't think it should be forced on anyone. So my stance is that if you want it, get it. If you don't, don't. I, you know, I think it's an individual decision. It's a personal choice. And, um, yeah, I remain pretty neutral on that. Did, just curious, like, were you one of the guys who changed your mind recently? Like, are you recently vaccinated? Yeah, just as I'm neutral on that, I'm also in the school of thought where I like to keep my personal decisions like that private as well. So um, I respect the question, but respectfully, I am keep my decision private.
2: All right. Uh, Ioannidis, by the way, also revealed that he and his pregnant wife had COVID-19 last year. The baby was fine. Here was that exchange, starting with the question from, yes, Michael Phillips. This was a long time ago. But what was your
4: COVID experience like, if you don't mind? Um it was it was uh I was on IR and my wife was pregnant at the time and she ended up actually getting COVID too. So we had our scare there, but um the Lord was good to us. We got through it. We had a healthy baby and uh we came out on the other side. Hey, thank you. Yeah. First, he's first time? Yep, he's 8 months old right now. That's awesome. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You know, one of the most amazing things about COVID-19, and I know many of you listening know this, uh, and this has to do with at least the initial version of COVID-19, because I know that things may be different with the Delta variant, but with the initial version, kids and even newborns do so well with COVID-19 and nobody really knows why. Uh, My wife gave birth to our daughter about a year ago, August, 2020. So like right in the thick of things, with the COVID-19 pandemic. So I, of course, ask questions and nobody knows why even newborns do well with COVID-19. Like I said, at least with the initial version, Uh, this is like a giant mystery. You know, I'm I'm like, like, there's no theories and like, yeah, you know, maybe this, but otherwise we don't really know. You know, it's just kind of a thing that is a good thing that at least with this initial version of COVID-19, kids do really well and newborns do really well. You'd think newborns, right, with these like brand new immune systems, these undeveloped immune systems would have all kinds of problems with COVID-19. And yet the exact opposite has been the case, again, at least with the initial version. All right, the football. Montez Sweat on Tuesday said something that was both very interesting and very exciting. We'll get to
0: that after this.
1: Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting.
4: Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline.
2: All right. So Montez Sweat at his post-Washington football team training camp practice press conference on Tuesday was asked about how good he and Chase Young can be as a tandem. Uh, I have said that I believe that Chase Young and Montez Sweat form the best edge rusher duo for Washington since the greatest edge rusher duo in franchise history, Dexter Manley and Charles Mann. Here was Montez Sweat on Tuesday on what he and Chase can be.
3: Uh, I think we could be pretty good. We, we talk about all the time about breaking records and stuff like that. I personally want to go get the the combined sack record that the uh, the guys got back before us. So, yeah, we talk about it all the time.
2: All right, the combined sack record not sure if he meant the combined NFL sack record or the combined Washington sack record. Quote, I personally want to go get the combined sack record that the guys got back before us. End quote. Whatever the case, that is aiming high. And that's good. Uh, why does Sweat believe that he and Chase can be a record-breaking duo?
3: I mean, we, I think we're both dynamic players. Uh, so we got two dynamic players on, 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 one, on one line you can make things happen.
2: Yes, you can. So sacks are not a great stat. We've talked about that on the podcast. Sacks can be flukish. Sacks can be misleading. So many times the guy who gets the actual sack on a play isn't the guy who caused the majority of the disruption on the play. If Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne collapse the pocket, the quarterback is flushed out and then runs into a sack by someone. The someone gets the sack, but Allen and Payne are the guys who forced the sack. They're the guys who truly made the play. I think that most people understand this by now. This is why we look at things like pressures, pressure percentage, and pass rush win rate. You know, Jonathan Allen in the 2020 regular season had the best pass rushing season of his career. Now, you get no sense of this if you just look at his sack total, which was two, but his pass rush win rate for pro football focus in the 2020 regular season was outstanding. Pass rush win rate measures the percentage of plays on which a pass rusher beats his blocker. Regardless of what that play results in, Allen in the 2020 regular season for PFF ranked number eight among all qualified interior defensive linemen in pass rush win rate at 17%. That tells you the story of Jonathan Allen as a pass rusher in the 2020 regular season, far more than his two sacks. Tell the story. Okay, so sacks aren't everything, but they aren't nothing, right? Uh, And they are a shorthanded way of talking about pass rush. Like I said, it wasn't exactly clear whether Montez sweat in saying, quote, I personally want to go get the combined sack record that the guys got back before us, end quote, was talking about the combined NFL sack record or the combined Washington sack record. I think he was talking about the combined NFL sack record, but it doesn't matter. Either record would be great. The official. NFL record for most combined sacks by two teammates in an NFL regular season is Chris Dolman and Keith Millard combining for 39 sacks for the 1989 Minnesota Vikings. Dolman had 21 sacks. Millard had 18 sacks. However, pro football reference has Joe Klecko and Mark Gastineau, part of what was called the New York Sack Exchange, as having combined for 40 and a half sacks For the 1981 New York Jets. Now, sacks did not become an official statistic until 1982. As we talked about about a month ago on the podcast, Pro Football Reference on July 12th updated its statistics to reflect sacks that were accumulated from 1960 through 1981. Pro Football Reference did this based on the work of John Turney and Nick Webster of the Pro Football Researchers Association, although Pro Football Talk eventually reported that the NFL would not be officially recognizing the sack totals of 1960 through 1981. So officially, the NFL record for most combined sacks by two teammates in an NFL regular season, Chris Dolman and Keith Mallory combining for 39 sacks for the 89 Vikings. But unofficially and truthfully, the record for most combined sacks by two teammates in an NFL regular season is Joe Klecko and Mark Gassineau combining for 40 and a half sacks for the 81 Jets. The record for most combined sacks by two Washington teammates in an NFL regular season is Dexter Manley and Charles Mann combining for 29 and a half sacks for the 1985 Redskins. Dexter had 15 sacks, Charles had 14 and a half sacks. And then a season later, the 1986 regular season, Dexter and Charles combined for 28 and a half sacks. Dexter had 18 and a half sacks. Charles had 10 sacks. Yeah, Dexter was a freak. 15 sacks in the 1985 regular season, 18 and a half sacks in the 1986 regular season. Nobody could block Dexter, not consistently.
3: Is there anybody that could block you one-on-one?
2: I haven't seen it yet, not consistently. Not consistently. Exactly, Dexter. Not consistently. So, could Chase Young and Montez Sweat challenge either of these records? Most combined sacks by two teammates in an NFL regular season, most combined sacks by two Washington teammates in an NFL regular season. Sure, but that's going to depend on many things. Uh, for what it's worth, Chase Young last regular season had seven and a half sacks. Montez Sweat last regular season had a team high nine sacks. Uh, The two guys combined for just 16 and a half sacks last regular season, but that combined sack total doesn't do justice to the seasons that those guys had. Again, sacks are simplistic. Sacks can be very misleading. What matters the most for Washington's defense this coming season is how the entire unit is. That's what I care about. So when it comes to Washington's pass rush, things like team Pressure percentage, team sack percentage, team sacks. You know, if you want to just go buy sacks, look at the team sack total, not individual players' sack totals. Those are the stats to be looking at. Those are the stats to be focused on. Incidentally, the Washington team record for most sacks in an NFL regular season is 66 in 1984. And listen to how much distribution there was in terms of sacks on Washington that season. Dexter Manley had 13 and a half sacks. Monty Coleman had 10 and a half sacks. Daryl Grant had eight sacks. Charles Mann had seven sacks. Mel Kaufman had five and a half sacks. Perry Brooks had five and a half sacks. Dave Butts had four and a half sacks. Tony McGee had four and to have sacks. That's a pretty even distribution, right? That's pretty democratic right there. How those 66 sacks for Washington were distributed in that 1984 regular season. And I could see something like that happening with the Washington football team this coming season. I don't know that Washington totals 66 sacks, but the pass rush isn't all about Chase Young and Montez Sweat. We were just talking about Jonathan Allen. He can rush the passer too. Daron Payne can rush the passer. Matt Ioannidis can rush the passer. Heck, he to me is Washington's best interior pass rusher. You know, Tim Settle can rush the passer. Tim Settle is coming off a 2020 regular season in which he had a career best five sacks and in limited playing time. So it's not just about Chase Young and Montez Sweat. Washington's pass rush is about much more than just Chase Young and Montez Sweat. I would even mention the possibility of someone like James Smith Williams emerging as a pass rushing force, or at least factor for Washington this coming season. And so as enticing as the combined sack total for Chase Young and Montez Sweat is, and that is enticing, and that is fun to talk about, uh, A, they could be great and still not have a combined sack total that's spectacular. And B, let's not limit Washington sacks to just those two guys. All right, so no game for the Nationals on Tuesday night at the Mets due to rain in New York. The Orioles did play on Tuesday night, despite the rain in our area. Game one of a three-game series against the Detroit Tigers at Oriole Park at Camden Yard started after a rain delay of one hour, 54 minutes. A tip of the cap to anybody who sat through that rain delay of nearly two hours to watch Orioles-Tigers on a Tuesday night in August. Uh, man, you you are a special kind of person uh, if you went through all of that. Uh, the rain delay simply delayed the inevitable. Another loss in which the O's gave up a bunch of runs. 9-4 loss to the Tigers at Camden Yards. Understand now, the Orioles have allowed at least nine runs in each of six consecutive games. That is one shy of the major league record for such a streak. The record is shared by the 1901 New York Giants and the 2000 Seattle Mariners. The O's have lost six consecutive games. The O's during that six-game losing streak have been outscored 63-23. Yes, outscored by 40 runs over the course of this six-game losing streak. The O's now are in American League worst 38-73 with an AL worst run differential of minus 171. By the way, did you see what ESPN MLB insider Buster Olney tweeted? early Tuesday morning. It's not often that a prominent national MLB insider or prominent national insider for any pro sports league will put something like this out there. But tweeted old Buster on Tuesday morning, quote, the Orioles on pace to lose 106 games this season and in their previous two full seasons lost 115 and 108 games in 2018 and 2019. This is unprecedented in AL history, when the players union cites non-competitive behavior, the Orioles could be exhibit A. It's just wrong. End quote. Wow. Buster getting all chesty when it comes to the Orioles and their rebuild, their tank job. Uh, Look, Buster got killed by quite a few people for tweeting that, and rightfully so. Uh, Look, I would say to Buster, don't hate the player, homie. Hate the game. All right. The O's are doing what the Chicago Cubs did, what the Houston Astros did, An all-in rebuild and all-in tank for the purpose of reconstructing the organization. You replenish the farm system, you come back up in a much stronger way. If you don't like what the Orioles are doing, if you didn't like what the Cubs did, if you didn't like what the Astros did, then change the system, okay? Incentivize teams not to tank make it so that, you know, draft picks aren't determined by one loss records, make it so that teams like the Orioles have more of a chance when it comes to spending money versus, you know, the New York Yankees and Boston Red Sox and Los Angeles Dodgers of the world. But for now, this is a sound approach to getting your organization on the right track. Nobody likes losing like this, but this is the way the things are. And while the all-in rebuild and all-in tank guarantee you nothing— That is a proper approach to things. The Orioles were a complete mess. This was basically the only way to go, okay? Go all in on a rebuild. Go all in on a purifying of the organization. You know, it's funny to me that Buster in the tweet brought up 2018. Uh, I don't know if he doesn't realize this or not. The O's were trying to win in 2018. They just didn't win in 2018 because they were such a mess. The O's in 2018 went 47-115 and 115 in the final season of the Buck Show Walter, Dan Duquette era. 2018 was not a tanking season. 2018 was a, hey, we're trying to win season. The Orioles signed Alex Cobb shortly before the start of that season because the O's were trying to win and they ended up losing 115 games. Uh, that was just a really bad season because things had gotten so bad under Buck and Dan. And of course, all of that started with Peter Angelos. And since then, the O's have gone all in on analytics, an area in which the team had been embarrassingly lacking. And so you have Mike Elias leading the ways, executive vice president and general manager. And it's not pleasurable to be going through all of these losses. I'm not here to tell you otherwise, but this to me is a necessary evil. And while nothing is guaranteed, I do think that the O's are on the right track because the farm system is in much better shape. The farm system led by, oh, by the way, the number one prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline, catcher Adley Rutschman, who on Sunday night was promoted to AAA Norfolk. But yeah, uh, the O's are horrendous, okay? Remember my mantra for the O's if you're an O's fan pain now, pleasure later. If you are an Orioles fan, just keep saying that to yourself. Pain now, pleasure later. And speaking of pain, Keegan Aiken was the Orioles' starting pitcher in this 9-4 loss to the Tigers at Camden Yards on Tuesday night, and he got smashed. You know, Keegan Aiken, right back to struggling in his return to the Orioles' rotation. Six runs in three innings. He gave up seven hits, two triples, two doubles, and three singles. He did have five strikeouts versus one walk, and he did throw 52 strikes versus 16 balls over 68 pitches. That is some strike to ball ratio. I got a kick out of that But yeah, man, six runs in three innings. Uh, Aiken actually retired the first five batters he faced, including recording three strikeouts. Got off to a good start in the outing and then came, as I like to say, the rest of the outing. Uh, He gave up two runs in the top of the second, four runs in the top of the third, five of the six runs that he gave up were scored with two outs. And so here is where we're at now with Keegan Aiken. The big disappointment for the Orioles this season has been the pitching, okay? Not that anyone expected lights out pitching, But whereas the Orioles do have some good things going when it comes to position players, the young pitchers just have not delivered this year. And Aiken is principal among them. 16 games, including nine starts. He now has an ERA this season of 823. He now has a whip this season of 179. He has been brutal. And this is a guy who had just been demoted to the bullpen. Aiken was on the COVID-19 injured list from July 21st to August 1st. He comes off the COVID-19 IL. Orioles manager Brandon Hyde puts Aiken in the bullpen, but that lasts for about five minutes. Uh, Hyde ends up putting Aiken back into the rotation. Why? because another guy couldn't get the job done. Alexander Wells in the Orioles' 13-1 loss at the New York Yankees last Tuesday night, gave up six runs in two and to third innings, got option to AAA Norfolk that night, and then Hyde the following day, Wednesday, said that Aiken was replacing Wells in the Orioles' rotation. So that's the way it works with the Orioles' rotation this season. Getting promoted isn't about you doing well, it's about others doing poorly. And you're just kind of like the next guy up, even though you yourself... Haven't done very well. So it's not good. Uh, the pitching is the thing. It's not that the Orioles have been the 27 Yankees in terms of the offense, but the offense does have some good things going. I mean, even in this loss on Tuesday night, Anthony Santander, two solo homers, Cedric Mullins, who's been so good this season, a double and a walk, Austin Hayes, who's been very good lately, had two singles. So the offense isn't outstanding, but it is something. The Orioles pitching has just been a giant nothing. Okay, It's just been so bad. And uh, Keegan Aiken, once again, very bad in this loss on Tuesday night as the Orioles got smashed again. Uh, We'll see what Buster has to say about that, if he has anything to say about that. Game two against the Tigers, Wednesday night at 7.05. Matt Harvey will start for the O's. All right, my friends, that will do it for you and me. But just for now, keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi Podcast at yahoo.com. On Thursday's show, episode 121, we will preview the Washington football team's preseason opener at the New England Patriots, Thursday night at 7.30. Every matchup will be broken down in granular detail. Uh No, not really. I will, though, tell you what I want from the game, and I will... Have a special guest for you. I'll just leave it at that. Have a great rest of your Wednesday. I'll talk to you on Thursday.
3: We talk about all the time about breaking records and stuff like that. I personally want to go get the, the combined sack record that the uh, the guys got back before us. So, yeah, we talk about it all the time.
1: I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast.